God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, uh, Biden is building a wall around Rehoboth, his uh, mansion in Rehoboth. So walls work, apparently, if you're a Democrat leader like Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden. But today we're going to be talking about um, we're going to be talking about the. the globalism and its intrusion into our everyday of life. You know, ever wonder why city cities like D.C. are so liberal? It's because they're a microcosm of academia, poverty, media, minority control powered by dark money, secret societies, cronyism, and nepotism. You know, the Pelosi stick together, you know, the Bidens stick together, nepotism, cronyism, the crony capitalists, the companies that are owned by BlackRock are donating uh, to the, uh, are buying up the media that sets the narrative, sets the stage. You have the corporate cronyism, you know, with the big tech companies being protected by Section 230. Meanwhile, they carry the water for one party that's allowing this to happen. Meanwhile, where is the Republican Party? And we're going to talk about a lot about Mitch McConnell's role. He's getting a lot of heat these days for doing absolutely nothing. And we're going to talk about what's behind that. It seems like the uh, Republicans are content with basically being the minority party because there's a lot of money in cooperating with your partner. And the party in charge of destroying America as we know it right now is pretty much endorsed by the uni party or the Republican party who basically says, better you than me. You do all the heavy lifting, but we'll, 
we'll we'll support you and collect the money, which I believe is at the heart of what's going on with Donald Trump. Because the Republicans, they pretty much hate Donald Trump as much as the Democrats do. Maybe not quite as much. But I believe that the power establishment elite is involved in getting Trump removed from being able to run. And I think that uh, it was just too close to call. You know, Lindsey Graham and his whole brethren uh, were holding and dangling impeachment over Trump's presidency. And in exchange, they were getting all kinds of power and leverage over a guy that did nothing wrong. How do you get power and leverage over an uncompromised person who did nothing wrong? How do you get power and leverage over that person? You, you manufacture it. The House manufactured the, pro, the, the uh, problem. Well, first it was the Clintons that manufactured the problem with the Russian hoax. The media ran with it. The Republicans didn't give any cover. And there was no justice brought to bear for any of the wrongdoers, which really, I mean, you could argue amounted to election fraud and a whole host of other things. But, I mean, they did nothing. Nobody got jailed for any of this. The only people that got jailed were the people that didn't do anything. The people that were set up and staged. People like Carter Page and George Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort. You know, he was working with the Podestas once upon a time, and they never got their doors knocked into. You know, there's two standards of justice. These DAs that are woke and being paid off by NGOs supported by George Soros. So I say, ever wonder why cities like D.C. are so liberal? But it's not just D.C. It's New York City. It's San Francisco. It's Chicago. It's Atlanta. It's where all the corruption is. It's where all the crime is. And they're all run by liberals and Democrats. And they're all, they all have the highest salaries. And they all have the biggest gap between the haves and the have-nots. So if you ever wanted to see how socialism really works, just look at a big city. Look at their demographics. Look at the problems that, that, that are associated with that. New York right now with their sanctuary city are giving away free education and free health care to these illegal migrants that are being bussed in to New York City. And who pays for that but the taxpayers? So all the normal healthy people are moving out. Urban flight, they called it. Now it used to be the big problem was um, the people uh, people of a different socioeconomic class, perhaps even a different race, would move into a neighborhood. And then the people that didn't like that or didn't like the, the notion that they saw the, the value of their home devaluing, they would move out before it was too late. They would move out before it was too dangerous. They would move out, and they called that urban flight. And they would move to the suburbs. And then now... You know, you have the Democrats trying to reach their hand out of the cities and into the suburbs with that affirmatively affordable housing act. 
and a whole host of other things. Eh, don't go so far. And they're using the EPA to crack down and regulate and make your life miserable. They're doing everything they can to control population, like herds of sheep. So I wrote this piece and I said, ever wonder why cities <clears throat> like D.C. are so liberal? But it's, again, other cities. It's because they're a microcosm of academia. Academia, when we look at academia, we see 98%. How could it be 98%? That sounds like an old boys club to me. That sounds like a secret society to me. The only way you get 98% of anything in a country where it's 50-50, at, at, at the very least, I mean, just look at the difference between Fox News and MSNBC and CNN, where Fox News' audience is as big as CNN and MSNBC combined. So take a look at that. Look at how the flyover country and look at how America is consuming. And you know that what's available in terms of a worker pool and what's available in terms of population and demographics to the workforce, to the academic force, to the acad academic population, to the medical profession, and to everything else in between, journalism. Journalism, academia, medical. But yet... Nevertheless, the CDC, 98%, it's about 98%. I, I saw that number. And it's like that in the universities. It's 98%. All of my professors, when I studied politics and public law back in the 80s, they were all liberals. It, it's not new. This isn't new what's going on. I, I remember uh, having a conversation with a buddy of mine in Philly where he's a liberal. And he was like, well, you know, it's just a, uh, liberals are more interested in academic, academia. Liberals are, are more interested in learning. They're smarter, whatever. And it's not the case. You know, Republicans tend to want to go out and build things, make money. And there was a notion back in the 70s and 80s and perhaps even the 90s where there was this reputation that the Republicans were the elite, rich elite and the Democrats were the working class and uh, blue collar union, whatever. But that was never the case, really. It was always the case that these super rich elites that controlled. And where I'm going with this, when I talk about this urban center and how it's wrapped up in secret societies like the, the Freemasons or or these frat houses. Oh, you're a you're a teak, you're a kappa, you're an alpha, you're a sigma. Oh yeah, I'll give you the job over this other schmuck that wasn't a part of my frat house in college. You'll you'll get top of the line. You'll get right to the top. You'll get the VIP in the private club treatment. And then there's the cronyism and the nepotism. And we see it in journalism, we see it in our universities, we see it in science and medicine. Just look at Deborah Burks, so cavalierly admitting all their wrongdoings. 
And despite all that, despite the fact that everybody that's got a vaccine four times over, the guy from Pfizer, the the guy that uh, uh, from Moderna, the CEO, we listened to a clip from him la- for from him last week, where he says we're having to throw thirty million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. And the head of Pfizer, quadruple vaccine vaccinated, got sick. Jill just saw her on a bike riding on the beach because she got a negative test, but she was positive. And Joe, quid pro Joe, part of the head of the Biden crime family, got it like not once, but twice, maybe thrice. Almost as many times as he's been vaccinated, he's gotten COVID. Doesn't seem like it works. And then he's taking this other expensive drug. And and the, and the point is, is that it doesn't work. But guess what? I'm going to be going out to California next week. And while I was out there, I was like, oh, you know what? I saw Rebel Without a Cause. I, I saw a couple of things, you know, um, a couple of movies where the Griffith uh, Observatory was in play, you know, was in the movie. And I always wanted to see the Griffith Observatory. And it turns out that one of the highlights of the things I wanted to do while I was out there, I can't do because I need a vaccination. Now, think about the people that come from all over the world to see the Griffith Observatory. And, and think about it. They're now going to either, A, have to make the choice to get vaccinated to go. Suppose you're part of a family. Suppose you're the dad and you have a wife and kids and you're going to be out in California and you decide you want to go to the Griffith and everybody's vaccinated in your family, but you're not. All of a sudden, you can't go. You can't walk in this building because you are not vaccinated. And it's so silly because, you know, so many people have lost their jobs. So many people um, were victimized because they chose not to get vaccinated. And for whatever reason, now I've had COVID. My antibodies, it's clear, study after study after study has indicated that your antibodies from catching COVID are better than any vaccine, which study after study after study proves that the vaccines are ineffective. And not only that, study after study after study, the vaccines are proven to be uh, detrimental to your health. Yet the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles requires that you are vaccinated and that's it. You can't walk in to the Griffith Observatory. No way, Jose. So you're going to either have to let your family go in without you or, you know, how many people are. And then I thought I thought about it and I thought, you know, they're also tracking because it's easy now because they could say, okay, everybody that signed up and entered the Griffith Observatory is now getting tracked, is now being listed. Uh, Where are you from? Oh, you're from uh, Washington, D.C. And you're here at the Griffith, and you were vaccinated, 
and they could track everything. And it's what they're doing with digital currency. It's what they're going to be doing with the social score system. It's where the globalists are heading. And the Griffith is using this as a tool. It's one of the last bastions or last places on Earth, other than China, communist China. And that's a whole other story we're going to be talking about a lot this week. China's crackdowns are affecting supply chains, crushing their housing markets and their economy because they have the strictest crackdowns right now on COVID restrictions. And we all seen how that plays a part in, in psychology, suicide rates, the overall economy. Their economies uh, conflating, or not conflating, deflating. It's crumbling. And their housing market is also crumbling. And as that ripples, uh, the ripple effect of that goes around the world, you're going to see things happen that have never happened before. I heard, um, I heard uh, gas prices are dropping. In part, gas prices are so expensive that the demand is dropped. Therefore, the price is dropped. Nothing that Biden did. But guess who gets the most credit for the demand on fuel? Dropping. China, because of their COVID restrictions, people aren't traveling, people aren't going out of their houses, and they're not consuming gas. But when the winter breaks, winter hits, and people are burning fuel, and people are going to have to go back to work, there's going to be a new demand on fuel, and that's going to go back up. Inflation Although from June to July had a little bit of a respite, I think we're going to see inflation go up. Historically, 9% is not out of reach. We've seen it at 11. We've seen it at 13. Maybe as high as 14. But the uh, idea that the interest rates are not going to go up or the Fed's not going to make more mistakes down the road with their reaction, overreaction. And that inflation is going to have a direct impact on housing prices, housing interest rates. So we'll see. But I wrote this and I said, ever wonder why cities like D.C. are so liberal? It's because they're a microcosm of academia, poverty, media, and minority control powered by dark money, secret societies, cronyism, and nepotism. We see it in our universities, journalism, medicine, and science, and Hollywood. Absent in these cities are strong Christian middle class. Present is a, the, what is present is a widening gap between the haves and the have-nots. Elites attack a rising middle class, and this is the point. Elites attack a rising middle class, like incumbent candidates attack people who dare challenge them. And, you know, I was thinking a little bit about Oz and Featherman. Featherman uh, and the dark money is key. So you look at the influence of Soros in these district attorneys' races. And you look at the power and influence of social media and censorship. 
And you look at the you look at the difference. You know, it's the uh, power elite. Why is the power elite always liberal? Because they don't want to see the middle class rise up and compete with them. They don't want competition. They want a monopoly. And so the uber rich, they don't want the middle class to rise up no more than the Astors or whoever it was on the uh, upper echelon of the Titanic didn't want, you know, the uh, poor Irish schmucks to come up from the gallows in those boat in that ship. That there is a separation of society. The 400 Club and the Vanderbilts and the Gilded Age, we could see it throughout history. The elite have never wanted to hobnob. And yet we have the elite, like the, the Pelosi's in California are considered elitists, right? And they, they are pushing this whole thing about America as stronger as a melting pot. Yet they have vineyards and acres of land to separate them from people. They don't have to walk along um, the sidewalks with syringes and uh, extract uh, human feces. You know, they don't have to walk along the garbage and the, and the homeless tents. No. They just, if you're Paul Pelosi, sucking on wine, doing your drugs, hiding behind your walls, drinking wine from your vineyard, and getting inside trading tips on how to make the best deals on the stock market. And traveling first class, forget about the climate. Traveling in your private jet. And while you eat what? Crickets? Is that what they want you to eat now? They want you to eat barbecue crickets. Ch- uh, chili and lime crickets. Southwestern style crickets. It's crazy. They're crunchy. It's a joke. But what this is, you know how hard it is to break in? They always say how hard it is to break in and compete with an incumbent. Like, say, Oz to Featherman, even though they're going for a new seat. Um, Featherman's part of the liberal establishment elite. Um he was a, he's the current lieutenant governor running for the Senate. And Oz is having a tough time over there. He's down by about four and a half points right now, which baffles me because Pennsylvania needs to wake up. They, they, ought, to, they ought to be able to get uh, fracking back or at least have an energy uh, independent style senator leading in Congress if they ever want to get their industries back. But, you know, I can't believe that people are even thinking in the terms that they would vote for a Featherman. I think that there's something else in play. And while I was thinking about that, I was thinking, yeah, it seems like the fix is in. Like something is just rigged. And part of it is, you know, all this outside money. And they said that uh, the Democrats were outspending the Republicans like two to one. You're like, okay, Mitch, what, what's going on? Mitch McConnell, you're not leading. The other part, though, might be that in no other time have we ever seen 
such a divide within the Republican Party where Donald Trump is getting the lion's share of the donations. What used to go to WinRed and the RNC is now going to Trump and his campaign coffers, which is why I think that Trump is going to uh, be a strong candidate. And it's exactly why it is that they raided his house and wanted to bury in litigation and in investigation a lot of the nonsense and dirty play that was going on within the FBI and the CIA and the collusion that was going on through their conduit, which I believe is going to prove to be someone like Peter Strzok, or Peter Strzok, who was working with the Cartwrights and CIA and, you know, they have a long history with the Mujahideen and uh, the Middle East in the 70s and 80s. They speak Arabic. They speak, uh, John Brennan speaks Arabic. I believe that Peter Strzok speaks Arabic. And they lived in Saudi Arabia in the, in, in that area of the world. And um, they played in those style politics. And that's, uh, I think, again, you could even look to Khashoggi as uh, someone that was more in the camp of Peter Strzok and Barack Hussein Obama, who pardoned the Cartwright right before he left, General Cartwright. And they were all part of that same block. And when Khashoggi was taken out, um, he was he was a soldier in, in that neck of the woods, just like Soleimani, you know, was untouchable until Trump blew him up. And the politics that's in play over there. And, and it, once again, it was John McCain and Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell that were all in bed with the Khashoggi wing of Middle East politics. But yeah, we see this. We see this. And we see this with Liz, uh, Liz Cheney as well. And a lot of people, they're talking about Liz Cheney and her, what a joke she has become. And people are talking about like Liz Cheney, how many votes is she going to get in 2024? But what she is after and what the RNC is after and what Mitch McConnell is after and what Mike Pence is after is not to win. They have no chance of winning. They know that they have no chance of winning a presidency in 2024. Zero chance. But what they want is they want to prevent, that's all they care about. They want to prevent Trump from ever getting back into power. Because Trump doesn't believe in the climate BS. Trump doesn't trust the science. Trump doesn't support the globalists and Trump likes the notion of bilateral trade, not multinational trade that caters to multinational corporations that makes people like BlackRock happy. Trump wants to start his own social media platform rather than have to beg and be at the uh, mercy of people like Zuckerberg and his Zuckerbucks. 
and Elon Musk and Twitter and all that nonsense and game playing. And, you know, God love them, but so many Republicans have fell or have fallen for those games, those traps. We have so much infiltration going on right now. People are still going around the country profiting, profiteering off of the 2020 election was rigged and stolen, and we're going to take it back, and we're going to get Trump in the White House before 2024. And believe me, you know, I would love nothing more than that. If all that could happen, it can't happen. We could barely win elections right now. We need to focus on that. And at this point, we need to focus on getting Trump back in the Oval Office for 2024. And I think that means we focus on the real issues, but we're not, we should not be duped by keeping our head in the review mirror. You know, just this weekend, there was another big event where, you know, there, I think it was the Lindau group, you know, talking about the rigged election. And the thing is, I think we need a better spokesperson. Because, yeah, the heart might be in the right place. Maybe not. I've heard some stories. Maybe, maybe not. But we got to stop profiteering from this and start working on solutions. And it takes leadership. And right now, the problem is we have the wrong leadership in the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell's not a leader. Andy McCarthy's not a leader. We know what swine snakes they are. But it does take that style of leadership. We need to sit down and negotiate with the power structure in the RNC and try to coordinate the future of winning these elections because we can't do it divided. Our house is so divided. And people need to stand up. It can't just be Donald Trump because they hate Donald Trump. But what we need to do is we need to take these rhinos and turn them into lions. We need to turn them into Trump-supporting supporters. We need to let them know clearly that Trump isn't going anywhere. Trump is our guy. He's the guy we were were going to... He's the horse we're riding into 2024 with. And it should be that way. And if he had that level of support, Trump would be untouchable. But there's a lot of inside backstabbing going on that amounted and allowed someone like Joe Biden uh, to pull the trigger on on uh, Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray to get them to act in the way that they did. But Trump, hopefully hopefully has some tricks up his sleeve. But he's going against, I mean, it's a David and Goliath, David and Goliath story, to say the least. It's, a, it's, an upro, it's an uphill battle. There's no guarantee. All right, so we have a couple of other things we want to talk about. But first, I want to talk about... Um, this story here, this is kind of in line with what we were talking about. All right, so this is uh, The Last Refuge. 
conservativetreehouse.com. Potential Republican Club midterm strategy nationalized the January 2021 Georgia outcome. All right, so this is creating some skepticism. Steve Dace came up with this a little bit, and he says this, McConnell is telling you now what people like like Steve Dace uh, have been telling you for years. The GOP would rather lose to Democrats than lose control of the party to its base. That's what electable means, someone they approve of. Ditch would rather have Kelly than Masters, for example. Okay. Now, this is coming from a guy, Steve Dace, who I like, but there, there once upon a time, he and Glenn Beck and a whole host of others were anti-Trump, never Trumpers. So I take, you know, a lot of what they say with a grain of salt, and I'll never forgive them for what they did against Donald Trump in 2016 when Trump needed them the most. So the premise of this is acceptance is the first step. If we accept or acknowledge the RNC and DNC are private corporations, okay? (coughs) Excuse me here. So let's just accept that they're private corporations, Existing like all other corporations to fulfill to the fulfillment of their for profit charter to make money. And if we accept or acknowledge their business model is structured around people and businesses giving them money, and if we accept or acknowledge that in the process of raising money, their interests may or may not align with the goal of those contributing to the business. And if we accept the history that Mitch McConnell and the RNC worked purposefully to remove the influence of the Tea Party, then this factually accurate statement from Steve Dace takes on a new meeting. Again, I'll read it to you. McConnell is telling you now what people like Uh, Steve Dace have been saying for years the GOP would rather lose to the Democrats than lose control of the party uh, to its uh, to its base that's what electable means okay so we all see that Mitch McConnell and people like Governor Pence there's a fissure Trump supports one candidate Pence supports another Mitch McConnell also is sort of in line with Pence So you get, you know, someone like uh, Lisa Murkowski endorsed by Tim Scott from South Carolina, the black senator from South Carolina, has endorsed Lisa Murkowski. You know, probably Lindsey Graham as well, but I didn't read that, but I would guess. Um, And forget about Kelly Shabaka, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and and so Trump, you know, is supporting Kelly Shavaka because he understands that Lisa Murkowski is not a not a America First patriot uh, representative for the cause. So it goes on to say the GOP club would rather lose to Democrats than lose control of the club to its base. And so Mitch wants to stay in power by 
hiring and electing uh, representatives that would actually support his brand of leadership. And if he gets too many Kelly Chewbacca's or Lee Zeldin's or what have you, then what's going to happen is there's going to be new leadership and Mitch McConnell's career is over. He'll be exposed for the loser that he truly is. So as a result, there is a disconnect between the financial incentive of the corporation, say the RNC, and the expressed intent of the corporation. When the RNC club wins, they have a more difficult time raising money because people who previously contributed are now looking for results. Combine that business model reality with the accurate statement from Steve Dace about the club perspective of MAGA, and you begin to see the weird dynamic that surfaced in Georgia in the first week of January 2021. Did the club want to win the two Senate races? Or was the club content to let deflated Trump voters see a lackluster club response to the 2020 election issues in Georgia, a frustration which led to wins by the opposition, like Warnock and... uh, It says the same dynamic is is established now. Senator Mitch McConnell and the GOP club corporate donors are not happy with the unapproved candidates winning many of the 2022 primaries, primary contests, thanks to Trump. They are now hiding their disdain, nor as they hide they hiding their shift in midterm expectations as a result of their desire to see the unimproved Republican candidates defeated. However, there is more looming scenario that we have been discussing. So people are calling for Mitch McConnell to give up on this agenda. And this is the agenda that, okay, Mitch McConnell, you lost. It's time to coalesce. And it's time, just like they said in the beginning, in 2016, when Trump was on the ticket, do you recall where they said, would you support the candidate that gets the nomination? And Trump was the only one that basically said, well, we'll see. If I get, if I get railroaded by the RNC, no, I won't. I'm not going to lend my power and endorsement of America First policies and make America great again policies to a rhino and sell out. So basically, what's happening is the rhinos are losing. The rhinos are losing the primary seats. And the rhinos are now being asked to coalesce and support the standard bearer of the leadership of the RNC. The problem is it's not anything that looks like Mitch McConnell. It's not anything that looks like Mike Pence. It looks, in fact, identically to Donald Trump. Now you got you got a DeSantis wrinkle in here as well, which is kind of, you know, something else to think about. Um, 
and we're going to be you know playing some clips of, uh, about you know some things that he's been saying and i've been getting some more flyers from desantis ron desantis as well it'll be interesting to see because desantis i consider to be a trump style candidate right but I can't see DeSantis going head-to-head against Donald Trump. I think that would be a mistake not only for Ron DeSantis, but I think it would be for sure. But there's an opportunity in play here to where Donald Trump... Think about it like this. Think about what Donald Trump can do without another term left on his contract, right? He gets He gets another four years... He could go completely gangbusters, Donald Trump, because he doesn't have to worry about re-election. And Ron DeSantis is going to be a rock star. He always has been. And I just see an opportunity for Trump to be 224 to 2024 to 2028. And Ron DeSantis to be 2028 to 2032. Re-election 2032 to 2038. I see an opportunity there to really take back our country. And it would take about that many years to really put an end to every aspect of the globalist movement, their climate uh, lies, their COVID pandemic lies, their BS. We would have leverage over the people that are actually putting out these lies And I'm talking about COVID lies. I'm talking about climate lies. I'm talking about digital currency. I'm talking about the whole ball of wax. And then, speaking of digital currency, we're going to be moving there here after this. But in a national version of the Georgia result, there would be likely a widespread voter anger and frustration if the DOJ indictment indict President Trump and the Republican leadership pull the Ron DeSantis routine and stay hidden and silent. The GOP, uh, it says, I'm just reading this here because that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, the GOP gets rid of <clears throat> the issue of Donald Trump and a 25% drop in MAGA voter turnout. The result of the anger and disenfranchisement leads to overwhelming victories for Democrats in the midterms. The result, both Donald Trump and MAGA are essentially removed from the RNC GOP structure. Nothing would make the group happier than to return to the status quo of controlled and approved party candidates. Insert Ron DeSantis here. In the biggest of big pictures, the important issues for the club to control surround trade, finance, and economy policy. And you could see this here, too. This is... This is standard, okay? So this is Carl Rove talking to, um, God, um, the South Carolina former congressman. Let's take a listen to this really quick. It's kind of interesting to listen to it because it sounds exactly like what this article is talking about. Welcome back to Sunday Night in America. Alaska and Wyoming saw interesting races with high-profile candidates like Sarah Palin and Liz Cheney and Lisa Murkowski. In 2020, Liz Cheney won her GOP primary with almost 75% of the vote. 
What a difference two years makes. This week, she lost that same primary by almost 40 points. That battle is over, but the D.C. media is speculating that Ms. Cheney may run for president in 2024. Meanwhile, in Alaska, former governor and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin advanced to the general election. So, too, did Senator Lisa Murkowski, who will face off against Kelly Shabaka, who has been endorsed by President Trump. The GOP needs to pick up a seat currently held by a Democrat senator and hold all of their own seats, holding Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin is looking more like a challenge than it was months ago. Some forecasts have the GOP picking up the House, but not the Senate. The elections are more than two months away. We aren't even to Labor Day yet, but that has not stopped Republicans from blaming Republicans for lackluster performances and questioning candidate quality in some of the races. It would not be a day that ends in Y if Republicans were not fighting amongst themselves. Let's talk to one of the best political forecasters and minds in all the country, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and Fox News contributor Carl Rove. Welcome to you, Mr. Rove. Uh, how do you, well, let me start with this. Senator McConnell received a lot of attention for what he said this week about GOP candidate equality, but honestly, Carl, privately, there I've heard from others who are wondering whether the GOP still has a chance to take the Senate. What do you think? Well, it does, but it's an uphill fight. Well, first of all, we got 21 seats up. The Democrats have got 14. We're playing defense in Wisconsin, though I'm feeling pretty good about Ron Johnson's chances. Pennsylvania, an open seat left uh, uh, by the retirement of Pat Toomey. That's going to be a horse race right to the end. North Carolina, where uh, Ted Budd is running for the open seat, uh, being vacated by Richard Burr. Um, that, that race is looking better and better. Florida, where Marco Rubio is gonna, not going to take his opponent for granted at all. And then Ohio, where we've had a candidate who won with about less than a third of the vote in a five or six person primary and uh, has been able to raise money. But McConnell, despite the fact that the candidate in question, J.D. Vance, attacked McConnell relentlessly during the primary, uh, John, Senator McConnell is riding to his rescue, having just uh, reserved $25 million in advertising time. But the Republicans, you're right, they've got to hold these because if they hold these and pick up one, they control the Senate. If they lose any of these, they now have to pick up two. And, and candidate quality does matter. We now know that there are three, three races. Nevada, Georgia, and Arizona, which everybody thinks are, are, are in play. But we also have a couple of other seats that, that Democrat held seats in New Hampshire, Colorado, and Washington State, where the candidates could be able to, to pull off an upset. The Republican candidates could, if the environment is good by the time we get around to November, uh, to the November election. All right, Carl, the word genius has been used in connection with you, that you're a political genius. That word has never been used in connection with me or in that or any other setting. But this is the way I look at it. Most Americans think the country's on the wrong track. Prices are still high. Crime is high. The border is still an issue. So with all those tailwinds, why is it even close with Republicans? All they got to do is pick up one net seat. Why is it even close? 
Well, first of all, we had some really good candidates who decided not to run, in a large part because they were opposed by President Trump. If, if Governor Ducey of, of Arizona was running, we would be in great shape in Arizona. Same in New Hampshire with Governor Chris Sununu. The second issue is we've got candidates who are novices at running for office. Now, look, you know, you don't need to be an expert in order to run for office, but if you're running for a statewide office, it helps to have done something in the past that allows you to understand what a campaign is all about. Third, we face an environment in which you're right, inflation, the border, crime, the fact that three out of every four Americans thinks the country's going in the wrong direction, and President Biden's approval ratings are the worst of any post-World War II president at this point in time, uh, those are all working for us. But what have we spent the last two weeks talking about? We've spent the last two weeks talking about how President Trump took 25 boxes of material, including a number of at least 11 uh, packets of classified material from the White House in violation of the Presidential Records Act of 1978 that says those don't belong to him. And we've spent the last two weeks talking about that rather than the issues that hurt the Democrats. So, uh, you you know, there's plenty of time to, to reverse that, but we better get back to talking about things like inflation, out of control spending, crime in our cities, a border that's that's the border that's open along the southern part of the United States, strong national defense, values, conservative values. All these things are important, and we ought to be talking about them instead of what we've been talking about the last two weeks. All right, Carl, you put your finger on something. I mean, the, the, the D.C. media is obsessed with President Trump. I mean, he's not the president right. anymore, and they, he still dominates the news. So if you're a candidate, particularly a first-time candidate, because we have a number of those, how do you have the discipline to not take the shiny object, which are all the questions you're being asked, and talk about what you just laid out, which is the country most people think ain't doing so well? Right. Well, that's why you need to have a positive, optimistic vision that says, you know what, we've got challenges and here's what I intend to do about them. And we're having some candidates who are doing that with success. Uh, uh, Adam Laxalt in Nevada came to the Texas border. Uh, Senator John Cornyn hosted him and arranged for him to visit with a lot of people, including a lot of Democratic local elected officials along the border who told him what was going on along the border. And he went back to Nevada and laid out a plan to help strengthen the southern border. He's about ready to do the same thing on a couple of other issues. So if a candidate gets out there and lays out what their vision is and says, you and I both agree, you, Mr. and Mrs. Ordinary Citizen, and I agree, the country's going in the wrong direction and we need to turn it around. And here's what I want to do to fight inflation, to get the government under control, to get the border secured, to crack down on crime, to make certain that there are, that there are values that made America great are respected and strengthened. That's the kind of winning message. But you got to go out there every single day with a plan to lay it out and then execute that plan. Sorry about that. Had a problem with my mic. Um, one of the things that I would uh, argue there, though, is the outside money. The outside influence, the rigged narration in the media, going against the media is is a challenge in and of itself. Being allowed to buy ads and place ads and not be censored as a candidate also are, are extremely important. Oh, I, I didn't know that our phone system was on, but hey, uh, this is uh, John from, uh, uh, welcome John from Chicago. Hey, Scott, I know time is short. Hope you had a great weekend. And I just want to say a couple things about what you mentioned. You mentioned Tim Scott. And, you know, I, I see him as a guy that obviously the media, the Republican media falls all over. 
because he's a black Republican. But if you ever one time, and a serious question, heard Tim Scott unscripted say anything profound or insightful? No. Neither have I. And the larger issue I have is you see the Republicans pursuing the black vote, and we've been doing this for decades. And you know, Ann Coulter wrote, I saw a call a couple weeks ago, we said that uh, after all the appeals, you know, the platinum plan, letting guys out of jail, like all that. Yeah, criminal justice reform under Jared. You now have, I, I don't know if this is true. I haven't verified this, but she said he's still got only 8% of the vote. I thought he got more than that. I thought he got like more like 12 or 14%, but I don't know if you have any insight into that. Which leads, and, and if you do, please let me know. What, I, I don't know. 12, Jared, you said? Oh, did, did uh, Republicans get, what percentage of the black vote did uh President Trump received. Oh yeah, in the last in the twenty twenty in the twenty twenty election, it was and higher. She said it was still eight percent. I thought no, it was higher. Yeah, no, it was higher. Yeah, I I believe it was higher. Oh, oh it's still very. I mean, still, I'm sure it was still pretty a fra- just a small fraction of the overall black vote. Mm-hmm. But yet, you see, we're trending much higher, apparently, at least among Texas Latinos, and that's a group I've always thought that you know. Granted, hey, I'm want to secure the border lock, stock, and barrel. And I think many of them are seeing now that it's not just other Latinos coming across. They're seeing that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. But they're seeing the border crossings. They gee, this is nuts. People coming from Haiti or from Africa or from Asia, the Middle East. And so there's some appeal there. And if we can get to 40% of Latino vote consistently or 45%, think about the possibilities. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if basically the Republican Party makes an allegiance with the Latinos, where basically, frankly, you have a white and Latino alliance with yeah, there's groups too, of course, and Asians as well. That, that you know, some of them will come along. You pretty much guarantee if you if you're successful at that, if this trend continues, we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about uh, about. Uh, I mean, think about New Mexico, Nevada, if we, Arizona is pretty much secure. I mean, that, that's kind of where I see that going. We can actually appeal to them. Plausibly, I think that's the obvious one. And if we, and I, I know it's not, you know, he said, well, what about the black vote? I'm saying if I got to choose, I'm choosing the Latino vote. If that means publicly oh, yeah. saying, this is my group, this is my group, <clears throat> because, you know, what have you done for me? I mean, we've done this for years. This is an appeal that will t- turn a lot of swing states, but will certainly put us in great shape in the Southwest and the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains are oh, yeah. I, I like that. Tra- I like that strategy. I do. I, I think that, um, Fundamentally, the Latino Hispanic vote is so much more in line with Christian and uh, conservative values um, and a sense of family. Um, I think that the uh, Democrat Jim Crow laws that they invented in the '60s, and the uh, the their and then their self their self wound and then their self um, cure which was then civil rights uh, legislation and all the buying of votes through the uh, welfare programs, I think is has really torn the black communities apart. Black Lives Matter is just the latest rendition of it, but um, that uh, particular group is just so entrenched in in the Democrat Party. It's It's almost one part. You know, Black Lives Matter is such a fundraiser, I, I think that the opportunity is definitely with these potential new voters coming through the southern border, for sure. 
well, the Latino population in the United States, I'm saying the established population. Oh, absolutely. Especially if we don't poison the young kids' minds in school. And that, that's where the education is really huge, because as long as they don't get warped, a lot of them will naturally migrate, so to speak, yeah. to the Republican Party. But yeah. you don't have to get all of them. Yeah. You know, well, we're out of time. Of them and you really win. We're actually right, out of time. But thank you so much for calling in today. All right. Take care. Have a great day. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. We actually ran over. Um, With that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.